And Jesus is at the center of our lives. Amen, church? He's at the center of this church right here in the North River Church of Christ. We praise Jesus. We worship Jesus. And we follow Jesus together. Amen? Amen. So, good morning. It is good to be together in person. You know, a lot has happened this month in our family. You know, we heard about some of it this morning with Sergio and Lizzie went to Paris. We got some really cool mission teams going out around the southeast right now to Jackson and Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The Atlos are back in town from Ukraine after 10 months. And they've been on a mission trip out there for 10 months. And they have, uh, they're going to be doing, they're going to be talking a little bit, showing us some pictures from their trip and all that kind of stuff. But in our family, something else happened. And I've been up here for two minutes without showing pictures. I can't resist anymore. So Caleb Drake Massey was born on June 22nd. See if I can get a picture. There we go. He is here. Mommy and baby are healthy. He looks just like his, uh, his brother Cam. Some people say he even looks a little bit more like me instead of Toya, which is a good or bad thing depending on who you're talking to. But he is here and we are loving life. But let's go to Luke chapter 19 together. So in Luke 19, we're going to be... Uh, jumping in here in a minute, but we're on our series Practicing the Way together. And about a month ago, we introduced this series, and we talked about as we're following our rabbi, our teacher Jesus, and we're apprenticing under him as his disciples, that we have three main goals. One, to be with Jesus. Two, to become like Jesus. And three, to do what Jesus did. Why don't we say those three things together? Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And that's what our whole lives are all about, just to be with him, to become like him, and then to do what he did. And so this summer, we've been going into different spiritual disciplines or different practices to do just that. And uh, Tom McGurk last week started a conversation about community, which was so timely. And today we're going to introduce a new practice that's kind of within community, to practice community, and we're going to be talking about it for a few weeks. So today our new practice is called eating and drinking. So I just got the attention. Some of you guys just had different responses, all right? For some of you, you went, oh, food? I'm listening now. For others, you're like, what, what are you eating and drinking? What are you talking about? Just hang with me. And we'll move through this together. And so in Luke 19, let's pick up in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was a wee little man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I'm homeless. You're rich. Do the math. (laughs) 
So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. If only evangelism was always that easy. All the people saw this and began to mutter, man, he has gone to be with a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation, healing has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. So this story is a story that we've heard countless times. And we teach it to our children. In fact, I'm teaching it to my son Cam right now. You know, we kind of act out, you know, our our family devotionals. So we take his stuffed animal, Raja, his tiger. We put it at the top of the closet. That's Zacchaeus. And then Cam acts like Jesus. And he comes over. Raja, will you be my friend? And then, you know, it's this lesson of Jesus wants to be our friend. It's sweet. It's cute. Like, Jesus wants to be the friends of everyone. But the reality is this story is anything but sweet and cute. Because this story is flat out dangerous during that time. Why? Who was Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector. Tax collectors to the Jews, the tax collectors had sided with Rome, their enemies. So the tax collectors were the enemy to the Jews. But the Jews were of God. So tax collectors weren't just the enemies to the Jews. The tax collectors were enemies of God. And here was God's Messiah eating with one. And then also this idea of table fellowship during that culture, who you ate with meant so much. And and the idea of a teacher of the Torah, a rabbi, sitting with a sinner over table fellowship was unheard of. You would never catch a rabbi sitting with a tax collector, ever. This was dangerous. People were muttering. And yet, even in the midst of all this craziness, there's an incredible repentance, a public repentance. It's incredible. Why don't we go to the last... Uh, two lines right there in verse 9 and read Jesus's response again to this repentance because it's not Jesus wasn't only talking to Zacchaeus but he knew that everyone that was mumbling and grumbling was listening to verse 9 Jesus said to him today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham and why don't you read verse 10 with me okay for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What a powerful statement. And right in there, there's a phrase, the the Son of Man came. If you're new to Christianity, if you're new to the Bible, the Son of Man was a term that Jesus used for himself. He's kind of talking about himself in the third person. It's this really cool connection to, uh, to Daniel. But he's talking about himself. And Jesus actually has used this phrase a couple other times in Scripture. He actually only uses it three times total in the Gospels. So there's this one right here, uh, for the Son of Man came. The other one is in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, those first two right there, right here in Luke 19 and in, in Mark 10, those are both statements of mission. They answer the question, why did Jesus, the Son of Man, come from heaven to earth? Well, he came to 
seek and to save the lost. That's the reason why he came. He came to, to serve us and give his life for ransom. But then the third time, the only other time that Jesus uses this phrase, for the Son of Man came, it's not to answer the question of why did Jesus come, but it's to answer the question of how he came. So let's go together to Luke chapter 7. Let's read this. A couple pages to the left, Luke chapter 7. It's the only other time Jesus uses this phrase. And we'll just jump right into the story here in verse 33. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he was a demon. And then here's our phrase right here in verse 34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And look at this really cool line. But wisdom is proved right by her children. How did Jesus come? This isn't, a, this isn't a, an answer of why Jesus come, but it's how he did it. What was his method, if you will, of seeking and saving the lost? How did he go about finding people and saving them? Well, he did it by eating and drinking with them. Then the story we just read about in Zacchaeus, you know, Jesus going into his home and eating and drinking with him, that's not the exception to how Jesus did ministry. It was the rule to how Jesus did ministry. So much so that right here, people call him a glutton and a drunkard. Now, okay, Jesus was not a sinner, okay? Let's just be clear about that. Jesus was not a glutton. He did not overeat. Jesus was not a drunkard. He did not go and get drunk, right? But you have to eat a lot of food and drink a lot of something in order to be called a glutton and a drunkard. Jesus knew how to party in a good way. Can Christians party? Come on, Jesus knew. I mean, this had to come from someplace. People must have seen him eating and drinking a lot to assume that he was a glutton and drunkard, even though he never was. Now, I do want to stop for a second. I want to do a timeout commercial break. There's not usually commercial breaks in sermons, but I'm going to do one, okay? So the Bible, I love how the New Testament writers don't hide from the negative things that people called Jesus. It actually helps me believe in the authenticity of this, that they didn't leave anything else. But while they called him a glutton and a drunkard and so many other negative things, nowhere in Scripture does anyone accuse Jesus of being a womanizer or an adulteress. And that's huge. Because if you know anything about Jesus, he was doing things with women that no one did during that time. So he had woman disciples that were following him around the country. No one did that. Later in Luke chapter 7, it's the next story. He's in Simon the Pharisee's home, and then a sinful woman, a prostitute, comes, lets out her hair, and wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. That's a promiscuous act during that day. Jesus, in Luke 5, goes into the home of Mary and Martha. He goes into women's homes. But no one ever accused him of being an adulteress or a womanizer. What does that show about how above reproach Jesus was? That he was able to increase the value of women, but never, ever giving a hint of immorality. Praise God for that. Commercial break over. Okay, back to your regular programming. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, there's at least 50 references to Jesus and food. 
It's all over the place. I mean, he's constantly just eating and drinking with people. Here's, there's just a small handful of them. I mean, it's all over the place. One New Testament writer says, uh, I'm sorry, one New Testament theologian says, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. I like this Jesus. I want to be with this Jesus. I want to become like this Jesus, and I want to do what this Jesus did. This Jesus is awesome. But eating and drinking with sinners, eating and drinking with the lost, this makes sense. If Jesus is going to seek and to save the lost, and he never went into the darkness, if all he ever did was stay on the other side of the light and say, hey, come over here. I'm not going to go to you, but you just, you just come over here. That would never work. But he, he sought after, he seeked, he sought, he seeketh. He went, he went into the darkness and he ate and he spent time with them. And he ate with them and he drank with them to rescue them back into the light. The same thing is true for us. Unless you spend time with sinners, unless you spend time with the lost, how are you going to point them to the Savior? How can you partner with Jesus in seeking and saving the lost unless you're eating and drinking with the lost and spending time with them or having them into your home, inviting them in? We have to spend time with them. How did Jesus do his ministry? By eating and drinking. You know, the New Testament calls this hospitality. And hospitality literally means the love of stranger. Right, it's how you go from making your stranger your neighbor and your neighbor your family. One definition that I saw that I really like is hospitality is expressing the welcome of God, the Father, to all through tangible acts of love. Ideally, through food, shelter, and relationship. I love that. It's hospitality. And so our, our practice is eating and drinking or hospitality. Those are interchangeable. And I'm going to talk about hospitality with the lost this week. And then Tom's going to talk about hospitality in the church with the family and, and so forth. Okay, we're going to talk about this for three weeks. But let's go uh, to, together to 1 Peter 4. Because even though hospitality, that word is never used in the Gospels, Jesus imitated it constantly which led the apostles who saw Jesus practicing hospitality, and even though he never said practice hospitality, because they saw Jesus do it and they followed him, they then commanded it in the letters. And so we see one of those instances with Peter right here in 1 Peter 4, uh, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Praise God for that. If you're anything like me, I'm one bad decision away from ruining my life constantly. Thank God there is forgiveness for sins. Verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another. This next two, two words are important. You see that? Offer, one another, offer hospitality to one another without what? Grumbling. In every household, every roommate household, in every marriage, there's someone, it's usually the introvert in the house, that does not like people coming to their home. 
And then whenever your spouse or the roommate goes, hey, such and such is coming over for dinner tonight, you just want to go, grumble, grumble, grumble. (laughs) Not again. They were just over last month. And then then at the end of the night, after they've been over, and then you say, hey, we'll stay as long as you want. We all know what that means. You better get out of here in the next 10 minutes. (laughs) But without grumbling, not, don't just force yourself to do it. Don't just deny yourself to do it. To become like Jesus where it overflows out of your heart. Verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Guys, here's the key when it comes to hospitality. Why do we give our food, our drink, our homes, our apartments, our dorms, our room in our parents' basement, wherever you live? Why do we give it? It's because it's not ours. We're only faithful stewards of it. It's all God's. Reality check. You don't own what you think you own. God does. It's all his. And he's given it to you for a reason. To steward and to give it to others. Do you treat your home like it's yours? Or do you treat your home like it's God's? Amen? Rosaria Butterfield has a quote that I like. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality, it's a really cool phrase, see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. And they know that the gospel comes with a house key. That's just so cool, isn't it? Not that when you get baptized, you're going to get a house immediately. That's not what that means. All right? But what it means is everything is yours. God gave it to you. To use to, for the furtherance of his kingdom. So let me, let me for just for a second address the cynic in the room, okay? The person that's going, are we really just talking about eating and drinking? Yes, we are. Okay, that's exactly what we're talking about right now, just in case you were wondering. Well, it's so ordinary. Exactly. It's so ordinary, and that's why it's incredible. That's why it is incredible. It's ordinariness it's where, is where its real worth is. I know something about every single person in this room and every single person that's listening, that you're alive. I'm a genius for figuring that out. So that means that you eat and you drink constantly, probably too much. So you have, and we all eat two to three times a day. That means you have like 21 opportunities a week to eat and drink with people. It's so easy. The fact that it's so ordinary is a genius way for Jesus to imitate and for us to follow to share the gospel. We have opportunities every single day to do it. To the cynic, the other thing I want to say to you is, have you ever been a part of this? Have you ever been a part of a group that ate together consistently, that met for months or years on end eating together consistently? The community formed over meals is unparalleled. The community formed in the place of a home is amazing. Something as ordinary as opening your home, cooking a meal, doing the dishes, 
provides a space for real conversation. To go past the superficiality to the depths. Space for the spirit to work and to bring out the gospel message. The truth is, a lot of us don't think this is an interesting idea because we have lost the art of eating and drinking together in the West. We have such a fast-paced society. We barely have time for our own meals, for us to be present in our own meals. I mean, fast food, I ate my breakfast on the way to church today. Like, this is constantly fast food, not taking a lunch break, but instead just eating through while working, working while you're eating, or watching TV over dinner instead of connecting with your family. Like, we have undervalued the importance of eating together as a society, and we've lost the art of eating together to build community in the, in the community of God. You see, for the most part, um, the American home is not a place where you invite people in to build community. Instead, it's the home where you go to retreat. You see, we live in a hyper-individualistic society. And after a long day's work, we don't want anything else but to escape from the world to retreat to our home. We drive by the neighbors and we might give them a little wave. And we drive by, we click the garage door opener. Then we drive into our garage. Then we close the garage. And, I, and thank goodness I didn't have an opportunity to talk to my neighbor. It's just so individualistic. We retreat. And you know what? COVID has only magnified the issue. It's only made it worse. But what if? What if, North River? What if we as a church recapture this art of hospitality? What if as a church we capture the art of eating and drinking together? Instead of our homes being a place of self-centered retreats, what if we recapture our homes as an outpost for the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods? What if we recapture our table as a place for people to be welcomed and to experience the gospel message? We have incredible examples of this all across North River. We really do. But before you stop and think, man, I've heard this lesson before, write it off. Oh, I'm remembering the times I've had people in my home in the past a long time ago. I want you to stop and think, how has this last year changed your view of your home? How has COVID shifted the way you use your house? You know, the reality was for several months or maybe a lot longer than that, all of us had to shut down. We had to close down for safety. I mean, we had to do that. But now so many of us have come out and we're, we're, we're seeing each other again. We're meeting up. We're here at church. Amen. Like we're coming out of COVID, yet our homes are still shut down. Too many of us have landed in a rut of non-hospitality. Too, too many of us don't think about our homes any differently than the non-Christian. It's still just a place of retreat for us. When was the last time you had your neighbor, like your neighbor, neighbor? Not like, oh, your neighbor's anyone that is in need. No, like your neighbor, neighbor, like the literal definition of loving your neighbor. When was the last time you had your neighbor in your house? Or a coworker? Or the person you see at the gym every day? I know we're all worried about COVID, but the reality is so many of us are back to normal. 
Have you started using your house to express the love of God again? We have to come out. COVID does not want us to open up our homes for hospitality anymore. He wants to, COVID wants to stop us. COVID wants to ruin us from practicing this incredible practice of Jesus. But we won't let COVID stop us. Amen, church? We will open up our homes again. You can have all the excuses in the world, can't you? I know it's just rattling on in the brain right now. Why you can't do this? Well, I don't have nice stuff. Well, it's okay. That's okay. Because this isn't about entertainment. Where you invite people in, you invite people in to see that you've made it. This is about hospitality. Where you're inviting people into the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what kind of stuff you're looks, what kind of whatever. Well, what about, well, I don't know how to cook. Well, do you have Wi-Fi? Like, how to make a taco. <laughs> It's not that hard. Well, I live in a dorm on campus. You know what? The gospel pairs really good of ramen and a soda, all right? Have somebody over, over. Well, I don't know if they're going to say yes to coming over. You know what? And that's real. Because the people we're reaching out to are just as wrapped up in this overly individualistic society. But the truth is, is that if you could see your workplace, or if you could see your neighborhood from like God's vantage point, looking down, and you had x-ray vision into the hearts of everyone around you, I guarantee you would see people, hundreds of people, if not thousands, hiding, lonely, desperate for community, where they look like they're so successful in the, wor- in the workplace, but they come home to hide. I forget that not everybody has this. I mean, I have an overabundance of friendships. Like, I don't have enough time in my schedule for the people I want to hang out with. That is so rare. That is so rare. We have to remember where this world is at. The last excuse I want to mention before we get some practicals is the idea of the excuse of, well, I'm too busy. And that one's real too. Because the truth is, you know, hospitality does cost you a little bit of money, but the main thing it costs you is time. You know, Toy and I just moved into a house uh, like two months ago, and it's been really cool. Uh, we, we really try to go out and meet our neighbors. Uh, even one of my ma- neighbors, Jong, he came out and played touch football with us. My, my front yard wasn't big enough for football, but our two yards together. It's a good football field, you know. So he came and played with us. That was awesome. But, you know, when Toy and I were talking about this, I told her, hey, babe, I never want to be too busy for my neighbors. Like, if I'm too busy to not love the people that God placed me right next to, then I'm too busy to follow Jesus. But it's crazy how I can say that, believe that, have a conversation about that one week, and the next week I'm right back to the rat race. I'm right back to being way too busy. And sure, there are stages of life, right? Toy and I are in like this very unique stage of life. We have a two-week-old at home. That's like, okay, that's pretty unique. You know what I'm saying? But the reality is, if you're anything like me, you're really good at filling up your schedule of things that don't matter. There's always going to be an excuse to push off what matters most. Loving your neighbor through hospitality, 
loving your coworker through eating and drinking. I mean, there's other important things, yes, but there's not much more important than that. It's the second greatest command. Don't be too busy to do this. And I'm honestly not trying to put more on your plate. I actually would like you to take stuff off your plate, to take off the stuff that doesn't matter in order to put the stuff in that actually matters. Because we do fill our, stuff, fill our schedules up with stuff that doesn't matter. I mean, who cares about that stupid Netflix series? It does not matter if you watch the new season right now. It's okay to sit there for a while. I promise it will still be there. Like, who cares about that stupid post on Facebook? You do not have to respond immediately. It's okay if it sits for a week. It will still be there. Don't let the superficial stop you from the deep, real love of hospitality. Amen? Okay, let's talk about two practicals and we'll close out. Okay, so practical number one, hospitality or eating and drinking. Uh, number one, invite a neighbor or a coworker into your home in the next two weeks. Okay, this is not go study this out more. This is not go meditate on it more. This is very simple, okay? You got the gist. You just need it like Nike. Just do it. Just do it. Like seriously, what if, what if we recaptured this practice as a North River community? What if we recaptured our homes as an outpost for the kingdom of God and our neighborhoods? And every disciple in North River had somebody in their homes in the next two weeks. What could God do with that? And not like the bait and switch, like somebody comes in two, two minutes after eating with the meal. Hey, so where are you going to go when you die? Like, not that. Not that. But where you invite people in to experience the welcome of God through tangible acts of love. Where there's small talk, there's laughter, there's a bottle of wine if you're into that. Where you talk late into the night about the meaning of life in the kingdom of God. Not because there's some project or this is just something on your schedule, but because of you, a son or daughter of God, living out being human in the reality of the kingdom of God, that just overflows into your conversation to help them and to invite them in. What if, just dream for a second, what if in the next two weeks, a thousand people across the, north, across the, the Atlanta metro area were invited into a disciple's home? What could God do with that? I call you to do this. I call you as your evangelist, open your home again for the lost. Eat and drink with sinners like Jesus did. Amen? Amen. Number two, have some fun with this. Bring, get your family together, get your roommates together or your family group and just brainstorm some ideas. Get the whiteboard out. Just brainstorm some ideas about how you can practice hospitality together. I just copied this off of uh, some examples online. There's all kinds of random ideas you can throw up. You can take these, you can take others. For time's sake, I just want to point out one, the one that's underlined. Plan out holiday parties, 4th of July, Christmas, Super Bowl, Sunday, May the 4th, all that kind of stuff. This is, hey guys, I, I want North River to be known for something, okay? I want North River to be known for the best party throwers in Atlanta. Seriously, Christians should be the best party. Our, our Savior, the guy we follow, partied so much that he was called a drunkard and a glutton. Like we should be incredible at partying with people. No, we do not sin. We do it in a pure way. We have righteous fun. But we should be known. Why? So we can invite everybody in to come party, to hang out, and see how to do it in the kingdom of God. 
But have fun with this. Brainstorm with your family. Brainstorm with your roommates, with your family group. How can you bring hospitality out? We are not letting COVID stop us anymore. But we are going to invite people in to eat and to drink, to partner with Jesus, to, quote, seek and save the lost. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, you are the greatest example of hospitality there ever was. You created this earth and filled it with food and nourishment and drink just for, to invite us in to enjoy. God, thank you for showing us in real form how to do this through Jesus. I pray that we can partner with Jesus to do something as radically ordinary as eating and drinking with people to show them the kingdom of God, the love of Christ. I pray that during this time of communion, we, re we can remember how you did this and how Jesus did this. And focus on the greatest act of hospitality of all time, Jesus dying for us on the cross so that all this would be possible. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.